Welcome to the SPO Great Music Podcast, brought to you by the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra, entertaining and serving our community and the greater Toronto area for more than four decades. Now our host, Dr. Daniel Metazada. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the SPO Great Music Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Metazada. To celebrate the 40th anniversary of the founding of the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra, we've created this episode to recount our history. There have been many triumphs, there have been challenges, but the passion and love for music has sustained our orchestra through the decades. You'll hear from our SBO music directors, one former and three current orchestra members, and the board president all helping to tell our story. As well as this episode, there will be a supplemental episode featuring SBO musicians sharing their reminiscences and thoughts about our orchestra. Our story also includes the founding of our sister orchestra in Scarborough, the Cathedral Bluff Symphony Orchestra. We appreciate their help in telling the early years of our story. All orchestras have challenges, so very many components need to converge to maintain a successful orchestra, and the budget needs to stay balanced. It doesn't take much to put an orchestra in a difficult position, and an orchestra can go into the red quite easily, There are many things beyond control. For instance, if a snowstorm hits on the concert day, audience members may end up staying at home, causing a box office sales disaster. As well, it is common for board members, the general manager, the music director, and orchestra members all to have different opinions on how the orchestra should be managed and what music should be performed. Most of the time, ways are found to make the orchestra work, but sometimes there are disagreements which can lead to significant difficulties. We'll now pull back the curtain to tell our story. The SPO was founded in 1980, helped by our first music director, Clifford Poole. He was with the orchestra for five years. Clifford Poole was a pianist, teacher, and composer. He was born in England in 1916 and was taken to Canada as a child, where his family settled in Toronto. He studied piano and became a successful teacher and pianist with his wife, Margaret Parsons, He formed the piano duo which toured throughout Canada and the U.S. Mr. Poole taught at the University of Western Ontario, the University of Toronto, and the Royal Conservatory of Music, amongst others. Between 1949 and 1962, Clifford Poole and Margaret Parsons composed, compiled, and edited much piano music for young players. Mr. Poole was music director at St. Anne's Anglican Church in Toronto and was a conductor of the York Symphony Orchestra and the East York Symphony Orchestra. Alan Shantz, a cellist, will be our first speaker. Alan performed on the inaugural concert of the SBO, Saturday, November 8, 1980. I was a resident of Scarborough in 1980 when I noticed an article in the Scarborough Mirror, which I believe was a weekly magazine at the time, talking about the creation of a new orchestra, the Scarborough Philharmonic, and looking for players that were interested in playing. So I was there um, right from the first rehearsal, and I learned that there was a budget set up to provide salary for the conductor who had been chosen, Clifford Poole, and there was an annual salary for an orchestra manager. And it, it seemed to me like um, for a brand new orchestra, a lot of thought and care had been put into organizing a, a new orchestra. And I noticed on my first rehearsal there were. Lots of people. I'm a cellist, and there were 
at least eight cellos. There were four desks. I think there may even have been more after the first rehearsal or two. And all sections of the orchestra were quite full. For a brand new orchestra, it was very impressive. The conductor, Clifford Poole, I learned, had come with previous experience conducting the um, York Symphony Orchestra. And prior to that, he had uh, been in the East York Symphony as a conductor. And he himself was from uh, the Royal Conservatory of Music. Things were going well, and we were we were all very happy working with Clifford. He was he was a very kind man. Just in general, I would like to say that Clifford Poole was beloved by the people uh, in the orchestra. Uh, he was a kind man and, and very patient. He had some funny quirks. He did things like he felt sorry for the fact that um, brass players didn't get to play so often, so he. He found ways for them to play by having them do uh, fanfares during intermission. Uh, the fanfare was marked the end of the intermission, and, and uh, at first they were in the lobby of Midland Collegiate, and, and then uh, the audience knew that they should return to the main hall. Now, these fanfares were composed by Clifford. He was a composer. He was a composer that had piano pieces he'd written in uh, the Royal Conservatory piano books. He um, went beyond just creating fanfares with brass players. He started adding strings to the fanfares. Then he went further. He felt sorry that that trombones uh, did not have parts in a number of the classical symphonies. Apparently, uh, Beethoven did not put the trombone into about half of his uh, symphonies. So Clifford Poole uh, wrote parts to give the trombone something to do in in those symphonies where Beethoven hadn't written parts for the uh, trombones. Uh, but this is just sort of illustrative of how he was an inclusive sort of a person and he wanted everyone to have, have a good time in the orchestra and, and not to be left out. Thank you, Alan. Robert Ketchen, a trombone player who has performed with the SBO since our first season We'll also talk about Mr. Poole and the SBO. My name is Bob Ketchum, and I play bass trombone in the Scarborough Philharmonic. I've been doing that since the very first season, 40 years ago. When I joined, I don't think I ever imagined I'd still be there after 40 years. I joined the orchestra during the first season, but not actually right at the beginning. I was living in Ottawa and finishing school there and didn't move back home to Toronto until after Christmas. But as it happens, I was home for a visit and was in the audience for the orchestra's inaugural concert in the fall of 1980. Even now, I can still remember that first concert and was very taken by what I'd heard. I didn't know at that point that I'd be moving back to Toronto, but once I did, I was determined to join the orchestra. Clifford Poole was music director for the orchestra's first five seasons. My memories of Cliff are invariably good ones. He was a fine musician and a kind and generous man, and I don't ever recall a harsh word coming out of him during all the rehearsals and concerts I played under his direction. Conducting a community orchestra often takes a special kind of patience. The nature of most community orchestras is that the playing abilities range from, we'll say, adequate up to very fine, and placing appropriate demands and expectations on a mixed group of abilities like that is no small feat and it was something that Cliff did very well. He had a lively and wry sense of humor, too. 
The nature of playing low brass in orchestra is that one is often called on to sit for lengthy periods when there is nothing to play and just follow along by counting rests, which always gave us the opportunity to sit in lofty judgment of what we were hearing from our vantage point in the back row. In rehearsal, if something was not going well, it was not unusual to catch Cliff's eye and see a barely suppressed twinkle and smirk of amusement cross his face and a reaction to what we were all hearing. Because Cliff was very well connected in higher education and professional communities, having been an educator and performing soloist himself, we all had the good fortune to play with some very fine soloists that he booked periodically to perform with us, often with long-established professional careers, but also soloists who were just finishing their schooling and well on their way to a career as a professional. That aspect of playing with the orchestra was always very gratifying and memorable. Arts funding being what it is, many community orchestras exist hand-to-mouth and suffer chronic financial problems, and the Scarborough Philharmonic was no exception in this regard. The end of the fifth season saw a kind of collapse and rebirth of the orchestra. Clifford Poole's contract was up at the end of the fifth season. There had been differences of opinion between Cliff and the SPO board of directors regarding how the orchestra should be run, which is not an uncommon situation. The transition to a new contract with Cliff was handled badly, leading to lots of rancor and misunderstanding on all sides. This included the board sending a letter to him with only a few days remaining before the final concert of the season, asking for his resignation. The upshot of that was a fracturing of the orchestra, with Cliff and most of the players leaving to form a new orchestra, the Cathedral Bluffs Symphony Orchestra. While the Scarborough Philharmonic carried on with many new players, a new music director and a new direction. It was an unfortunate and unsettled atmosphere for several seasons, with the two orchestras rehearsing on the same night of the week, vying for the same audience, and sometimes experiencing overlapping concert dates. But things had settled eventually. In June of 1996, there was a joint concert involving both orchestras, playing as one group as part of a civic celebration for Scarborough, where both conductors at the time, Clifford Poole and Verily Lacroix, each conducted the massed orchestra during a Sunday afternoon concert at the Scarborough Civic Centre. With the passage of time, Scarborough had and has two fine community orchestras. Thank you, Bob. It was an unfortunate situation when the SBO board sent a dismissal letter before the last concert to Clifford Poole. Bassoonist Tom Kellenbit writes, I recall a very serious incident, which I believe occurred on April 20th, 1985. I was subbing at the SBO rehearsal waiting to play when Clifford announced on the podium just before the downbeat that he had been fired. Then all hell broke loose in the ranks. No notes were played that evening and quite a large number of musicians resigned from SBO on the spot. The Cathedral Bluff Symphony was organized under Clifford's leadership a short time later. Besides forming a new orchestra, Mr. Poole would sue the SBO for wrongful dismissal. The SBO settled out of court. Now, the SBO was in debt. It had just lost most of its orchestra, including Alan Shantz, and had no conductor. This was a crisis. As for Clifford Poole, he was successful as the music director of the Cathedral Bluff Symphony and continued until his retirement in May 1998. 
He passed away in 2003. Returning to the SBO story, the board turned to conductor Chris Kitts to help with their problems. Chris Kitts enjoyed an outstanding career as a conductor, violinist, recording artist, and educator. He conducted the Canadian Opera Company Ensemble and recorded music for the films of Donald Sutherland, Diane Lane, and John Voigt. He was the music director for the Centre in Vancouver for the Performing Arts and was the conductor of the Vancouver Pops Symphony. He guest conducted orchestras in BC, Ontario, and the first professional orchestra in Bermuda. As an educator, his groups performed on the CBC, BBC, West German Radio, and Caribbean Broadcasting, and played concerts at the United Nations, the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C., and the New Orleans World's Fair. Chris Kitts was the music director from 1985 to 1993. He's now retired, and we're fortunate enough to find him so he could join us on this podcast. Welcome, Chris. Greetings. I would like to extend my greetings to the orchestra members, present and past, who have made the Scarborough Philharmonic what it is today. The reason I'm talking today is really to tell you what happened when I took over conducting the Scarborough Philharmonic. I received a call in 1985 in the spring at about 11 o'clock at night from Susan Banks, who has been the, uh, the president of the board of the Scarborough Philharmonic. She informed me that they were not happy with the way the orchestra was going. The subscription sales and tickets had dropped. Some good members of the orchestra had left, and they, they thought it was time to go in a different direction. Now, she asked me uh, if I would be prepared to take over on the Friday of that week uh, to conduct that final concert because, for some strange reason, the board had decided to tell the previous conductor um, that they were not going to renew his contract. Well, he went to rehearsal and told the orchestra that, and no rehearsal really took place. It degenerated into a lot of conversation about those who supported him, those who didn't, those who just were there to play music and went home. And that's why the phone call came to me at that evening after the rehearsal. Now, I knew nothing about the orchestra. I didn't even know there was an orchestra in Scarborough, and I'm a musician who lived in Scarborough. So I said, yeah, what's the program? And they said, well, it's L'Arlesien Suite of Bizet, Unfinished Symphony Schubert. Nah, no problem. Easy. Old war horses. So I said, I'd do it. So Friday night I showed up and um, I was greeted by uh, somebody who said, uh, you know, we know this has nothing to do with you, but um, many of us don't feel we should play this concert. I'm sure you understand. Well, I didn't really understand. I had no idea why they wouldn't want to support their fellow musicians and play a concert. But anyway, I had a job to do. So I said, yeah, okay, fine. And uh, we rehearsed, did the concert. Um, I called in a few of my friends because I'd been concertmaster of the North York Symphony and principal second violin in the uh, Mississauga Symphony and called a few people in to fill in the holes. It was a great concert. And then I took over. Well, well, not quite. They posted the job and I, they asked me to apply and months went by. Finally, toward the end of August, I was told I had the job. Well, I found I had, there was no season in place, no programming, no concerts, uh, 
no soloists. Uh, there was no general manager. There was no personnel manager. There was no librarian. And they were broke. Great job. Okay, so what to do? First, my wife at the time, Penny Muston, agreed to step in temporarily as general manager, take care of ticketing and advertising. I went out to audition people, and I auditioned masses of people, and uh, some of which were from the previous orchestra to find out what they could do, and uh, a lot of young players. I brought in uh, Anne-Marie Kopp, from, flute player from the National Ballet, her husband, clarinet player from the National Ballet, Norman Engel, principal trumpet, uh, who went on to a great solo career. And then we, we had to get things going. Um, I got a program, some soloists, and away we went. And the opening concert was terrific. A lot of people showed up, probably expecting to see a train wreck, and it went over very well. Throughout the season, the audience improved, the orchestra improved, and it seemed obvious to me we needed to move to a bigger hall with a bigger stage and some risers, and we did. I made a lot of changes in addition to a new hall and the auditions. Um, I started a series of children's concerts, Saturday afternoon, young people's concerts. I started a pop concert series, which grew into the Mayor's Gala over the years. I hired the professional quartet uh, to head the string and quintets, uh, the string sections. And over the years, it just got better and better. The next year, I did a full-length Messiah with the Amadeus Choir. It sold out the first night. We had to add it a second night, and that almost sold out. The following year, we did a full Messiah with the International Symphony Singers from Sarnia, Port Huron. And on it went. Uh, the Canadian Opera Company contacted me and asked if they could do a concert of opera highlights with the Philharmonic. And uh, we did that. It was so successful, we repeated it the following year. I engaged soloists like Peter Donahoe, the winner of the Leeds Piano Competition, the week after he'd played with the L.A. Philharmonic and the Chicago Symphony. Then uh, other people like T. Chang, the only Canadian winner of a prize at the Moscow Tchaikovsky International Competition. I called Elwi Yost, a TV personality who did Saturday Night at the Movies for 25 years, and uh, got him to come, and we did two seasons in a row, a Saturday Night at the Movies. Thankfully, Morag Matram, Nay Dingwall, my librarian, was able to contact Warner Brothers and the studios in Hollywood and provide us with the original scores from a dusty basement um, of Casablanca, King's Row, and other great films. And we were able to perform those with scenes flashed on the back of the hall uh, to evoke memories of those films. Um, I engaged Mo Kaufman to do a jazz at the Philharmonic. And when the Mannheim Steamroller Christmas concert albums came out, I thought they were fabulous. I contacted Chris Davis through American Gramophone, and I was the first person to ask for scores for that. And as a result, he gave them to me free and said, as long as I don't perform them the same year Manhattan Steamrollers in Toronto, fine. After that, we started to get a reputation. We had a call from the Korean choir. Could we accompany them in a messiah at Massey Hall? Sure. Uxbridge called. Could we do a concert in Uxbridge? Yes, we did. Churches called. We did churches concerts in the beaches. As the years went on, the orchestra got stronger. 
we were able to present many 20th century works. And I always tried to include Canadian works, especially if they were Scarborough composers. I commissioned a work from Blago Simeonov, Scarborough composer, and did works by Keith Bissell and Don Coakley, as well as well-known Canadian composers like Blindswag and Rideout. <clears throat> Finally, uh, we reached a peak when we could do a concert at Thompson Hall. The way that came about, I found out that Scarborough was twinning with a city of Sagamahara in Japan. I called Joyce Tremor, the mayor of Scarborough, and I talked to her and I said, wouldn't it be great to celebrate this twinning with a concert at Thompson Hall with the Scarborough Philharmonic? She bought the idea. We sold it to the city council and they got behind it. They quickly found sponsors from Bank of Commerce, CKEY, Omron, and Eli Lilly and others, and away we went. The Sibelius concert was a tremendous success. However, at one point in the concert, at the end, the applause was so phenomenal, I didn't know what to do. I had not prepared an encore, never expected that, but the applause went on and on. I thought we have to do something. So I said, okay, we'll repeat the overture. I got up to conduct the overture, and as we started, I noticed the percussion section were staring at me with their arms crossed. All the percussion equipment was gone, and this piece required about a 32-bar percussion solo with hardly any orchestra playing. What were we to do? Can I turn around and tell the audience, I've changed my mind. No, that doesn't work. Um, how do I tell the orchestra to skip 32 bar? That doesn't work. Finally, we were there. Susan Banks, the timpanist, went into action and improvised every possible rhythmic combination for the next 32 bars. I thankfully brought in the orchestra, blew her a kiss, and we finished. After the concert, there was a cocktail champagne party in the lobby, and I'm standing there with the composer of the overture, and up come a couple of women who say, I'm so glad you repeated the overture. I liked it so much better the second time. Well, Don Coakley and I could only smile and nod. This kind of thing happens all the time. One time, at the end of conducting Tchaikovsky's Winter Dreams, Symphony Number no. 1, as I hit the last page of the score, the fire alarm went off. What to do? I look at the members of the orchestra. They're looking at me anxiously, looking at the exits. I decide it's only a few seconds, minutes. I will go forward. We finished just as I cut off the orchestra. The fire alarm finished. In my dressing room afterwards, two women came up. We knew that Tchaikovsky used bells in the 1812 overture. We didn't know he used them in his symphonies. Again, what can you do but just smile and nod? Odd things happen in concerts. One time, I was leaning forward into the orchestra, and all of a sudden I noticed the entire cello section leaning to their right. After the concert, I asked John Trembath, the principal cello, what happened? He said, well, didn't you know? One of the piano strings broke and whizzed past the entire section into the wings. And if you hadn't been bending forward, you would have been decapitated. So these things happen. Anyway, after the concert at Thompson Hall, which over 2,000 people came to, I thought our money problems would be over. Unfortunately, our management had neglected to keep track of the contact information for any of those thousands of people, so we could not contact them for our future concerts. So going forward, we still had the money problems, and the orchestra now owed me 35000 in back salary. 
because we couldn't always barely make monthly payroll schedules. And I was always the last one to get paid. And I agreed because I wouldn't let the orchestra go over. But at that point, my sister had gone into hospital with ovarian cancer. My father had gone into hospital with a massive stroke. My father-in-law had leukemia in Waterloo. And the orchestra decided not really to pay me. And a grant of $10,000 came through and they voted not to give it to me. So I felt my contribution was not valued. It was time to move on, so I resigned. But I was invited back the next two years to conduct pop concerts. Eventually, the orchestra paid me $20,000 if I would forgive the other 15, which I agreed to do, and I moved on with my life. Moving to Bermuda to conduct their first professional orchestra, then to Vancouver the, uh, to do the Vancouver Pops and the Center for the Performing Arts as music director. That you can read about in chapter 10 of my book, which you will see posted on the website here. Um, I would like to say before I leave that now I am retired. And if you're ever in Florida, in Vero Beach, Florida, look up the Indian River Symphonic Association. I am in charge of booking concerts from around the world. In 2022, the next season, Detroit Symphony, Russian National Orchestra, Academy of Zimmert in the Fields with Joshua Bell. And before I go, I would just like to thank all of the members, now past and present, of the orchestra, volunteers who have made the orchestra work, and ticket buyers and subscribers. And I'm glad to see that the present orchestra is well run and wish them a wonderful, healthy future. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for speaking with us and for your work in saving the SVO in 1985 and for building the orchestra into such an excellent ensemble. The SBO pursued a conductor search during the 1993-94 season and selected Véronique Lacroix as the next music director. Véronique Lacroix founded the Ensemble Contemporaire de Montréal, ICM+, Plus, in 1987 and continues to work with this ensemble to this day. She has been the music director of professional, community and youth orchestras and has guest conducted a number of professional orchestras in Canada and abroad, including the National Arts Centre Orchestra, CBC Radio Orchestra, the Orchestra of the Grand Ballet Canadien, the Newfoundland Symphony Orchestra, Symphony Nova Scotia, the Saskatoon Symphony, and ensembles in Kiev, Barcelona, and Switzerland. Her conducting can be found on several commercial recordings, and she has been the recipient of multiple conducting awards. She has also taught for many years at the Conservatoire de Musique de Montréal and during the summer, the Orford Music Academy. Here is violinist Wendy Frey to tell us about Véronique Lacroix's two years as music director. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, this is Wendy Frey. I'm a violinist with the Scarborough Philharmonic since the 1988-89 season, and I'm going to talk about the period of the fall of 1993 to the spring of 1996. After the resignation of Mr. Kitts at the end of the 1992-93 season, the orchestra had a one-year task of searching for new leadership. The concerts in that 93-94 season involved a number of guest conductors, all potential candidates for future seasons. At the end of each concert, we all filled out questionnaires about what we liked and disliked about the conductor, and at the end of the year, Véronique Lacroix was chosen as the artistic director and principal conductor. The orchestra enjoyed the spotlight of being one of the only orchestras in Canada under the direction of a female conductor. Ms. Lacroix is the recipient of multiple conducting awards, and she found the Ensemble Contemporain de Montréal in 1987 to work closely with composers. 
Her aim was to bring contemporary music to as wide an audience as possible. Over the years, she's discovered and showcased dozens of emerging composers through the Generation Project. The SPO highlights under Ms. Lacroix's direction include pianist Philip Thompson's Canadian premiere of Liz de Profundis, the introduction of the Composer-in-Residence program with Scarborough composer Donald Coakley, my old mentor, uh, the Young Composers Competition and Workshop, the debut of the pre-concert lecture series, and an overnight initiative in Gravenhurst to celebrate the reopening of the renovated Gravenhurst Opera House. In Gravenhurst, the musicians were billeted with local residents, and we enjoyed the opportunity to personally connect with some of the audience members in the community. Unfortunately, the time spent under the baton of Ms. Lacroix was an uncomfortable one. The relationship between a music director and their musicians is a delicate one, and sometimes there are different expectations and opinions on how the relationship should work. Occasionally, the relationship doesn't click, and then it's awkward for everyone. The musicians of the SPO didn't feel comfortable with Veronique, and Veronique appeared to be uncomfortable with us. As such, we found her to be a highly demanding and particular conductor, and there were several incidences of confrontations and discord. Some musicians left the orchestra at this time, and there were heated arguments between Ms. Lacroix and the board. She was commuting from Montreal, and so there was also an element of risk whenever the weather turned rough. Would she be able to make it in time for the rehearsal? The season's grand finale was a performance of the Bicentennial Orchestra, a combination of the Scarborough Philharmonic and the Cathedral Bluffs Orchestras, to mark the bicentennial celebrations of the city of Scarborough. This was very fun and yet chaotic. The conductors took turns and the principal players switched according to the conductor, so after every piece there was a cheerful clamour and chaos as numerous musicians changed seats and adjusted stands, etc. Also in 1994, a strong board of directors was engaged to encourage corporate sponsorship, new granting initiatives, and increased marketing strategies. A new general manager, Anne Brockelman, was appointed, and much of the orchestra's current success can be attributed to her hard work, innovation, and determination. New initiatives included a youth concerto competition program and the development of an educational concert series in partnership with the Scarborough Board of Education. Children were bussed in from schools all over Scarborough, and it was one of the few times we played to an entirely full house at Birchmount Park Collegiate. We were all quite impressed with how attentive and well-behaved our audiences were for those concerts. Howard Cable joined the orchestra as a guest conductor for the King of Swings in 1995, conducting primarily his own compositions. The concert was a hit with the audience, and Mr. Cable was appointed Principal Pops Conductor in 1996, a relationship that was continued for many years. Howard's Christmas concerts were a particular favourite of musicians and audiences alike. However, the orchestra soon found itself searching once again for a new music director in 1996, when the SPO and Ms. Lacroix parted ways. Thank you, Wendy. Flautist Leslie Duff will continue our story, bringing us to the next conductor search, this time lasting for two years. Hi there, my name is Leslie Duff. I've played with the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra for over 30 years. I first started playing with the orchestra as piccolo third flute when I was still in high school, and I currently hold the principal flute chair. I have also been the personal manager and even a short time as librarian. Orchestras, just like any other organization, experience management changes from time to time. For us in the late 90s, it was a conductor search. During that time, the board hired Fraser Jackson of the Toronto Symphony as artistic advisor to help with the conductor search and community outreach programs. It's a very stressful time for musicians to experience guest conductors for every concert. However, this was also a time of great growth for the orchestra. Anne Brockelman, our general manager at the time, 
worked closely with Fraser on projects to get the word out, so to speak. We developed a school concert series for elementary kids and even had a summer season too. Some performances include the Cedar Ridge Art Center, McMichael Art Gallery, the Mamichi Center, Scarborough Bluffs, and even the Toronto Zoo. I especially remember the zoo because we played Peter and the Wolf and even had zoo animals as audience members. It's a tough flute part with many solos representing the bird throughout. It was my first time ever playing this piece and I was nervous. But as the orchestra started playing, children in the front row began dancing and twirling about. Every time I played the bird part, the kids made bird shapes in the air. I felt amazed at the joyous reaction of the children, which inspired my playing and put me at ease. This is one of the reasons why I love playing with the SPO. It's you, the audience, that makes it all worthwhile. Thank you, Leslie. Jerome Summer's affiliation with the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra began with guest conducting appearances in 1997 and 1998. He served as music director from 1999 to 2004. Jerome David Summers has enjoyed a distinguished professional career as a renowned Canadian conductor, composer, clarinetist and educator. After moving to Ontario in 1974, he became increasingly in demand as a music director of Southern Ontario Orchestras. This includes the International Symphony of Sarnia, Port Huron, Woodstock Strings, New Aeolian Chamber Orchestra, Stratford Symphony, and the Ontario Festival Symphony Orchestra, which toured China in 2011 and 12. As well, he frequently appeared on the podium for many of Canada's leading orchestras, such as those in Edmonton, Victoria, Ottawa, Manitoba, Windsor, London, Niagara, and Brantford. As a clarinet performer, Jerome Summers has appeared as principal or soloist with numerous orchestras and chamber collaborators throughout the country. He was frequently broadcasted on national CBC and NPR radio and released four solo recordings in a series of Nightingale Discs. Jerome Summers is currently Professor Emeritus at Western University in London. Welcome, Jerry. So I'm delighted to uh, speak a little bit about my time with the Scarborough Philharmonic. Uh, I remember very fondly those those years. Uh, that began in uh, 1997, actually, with uh, a guest appearance. Uh, I think that was the one I did, the, the, the Mahler First Symphony with the orchestra. I was most impressed with the, the quality of playing and the, the venue and the management. And everything was really most intriguing. And then I was back again in 1998. Uh, at that point, we, we did a guest uh, shot, as they say, uh, Firebird Suite of Stravinsky and uh, Concerto with uh, Norbert Kraft, the great Canadian guitarist, and uh, and so on. And then in from 1999 to uh, 2004, I was pleased to be named music director. And for those years, it was really a, a rewarding mostly rewarding experience, musically, certainly. Um, and I, uh, you know, I was uh, active in, in many ways with, uh, with some of the players before this encounter, before this uh, matchup. And so it was, it was very comfortable for me to, to move in and, uh, and take over the orchestra as, as music director. Um, let me see. Uh, some of the highlights uh, I've been asked to recount here would be Really, I think which what comes to mind most obviously would be the uh, the orchestra's entrenched already entrenched approach to new music, Canadian music, fresh 
you know, fresh and older Canadian repertoire integrated well into the main program uh, layout. So I, I found that very refreshing and very exciting. As a composer myself, I, I of course, believe in, in the musical voices of our day. And uh, the, the Scarborough Phil was very, very uh, a great, a great vehicle for meeting with other composers and programming their music and and having all kinds of interaction with them. Um, the the uh, There are many, many highlights, and I, I just, it's really been difficult to, to choose some, but there are some innovations which we also enjoyed at the time. Uh, some things such as a, a summer series, which we integrated with uh, uh, the orchestra and, you know, performing out in the community with uh, such in venues such as Bluffers Park. I remember concert outdoors there and the Guild Inn and the McMichael Gallery, Scarborough Civic Center. And uh, in fact, that one was rather interesting. Uh, that extra series um, provided a chance to, to uh, really highlight the, the um, well, really in this case, the McMichael Gallery really highlighted the art of Canada in a major way. The Scarborough Civic Center, we highlighted First Nations, and we did a concert there called uh, uh, Ancestral Voices. And we had all kinds of great commissioned works, uh, Barbara Crowell and uh, other, other people, uh, other Canadians, uh, but focusing on the First Nations, which was something unique. I had not been involved in anything like that with any of the other orchestras that I've been associated with. Um, but one of the features that was rather funny that at that event, um, the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, the Honorable Herb Gray, was in attendance. And, oh, there are all kinds of little speeches and things that went on. And, and then uh, Mr. Gray and I took a little walk around the, the area and looking at the fish in the, in the ponds and so on. And uh, at the t I've forgotten. The Prime Minister, I think, must have been Chrétien at the time. But uh, the, there was a a moment where we were talking about the challenges of, of running an orchestra. And, uh, and I said, it's not too unlike, I suppose, running a, a country, you know, as, as he was deputy prime minister. And he, he agreed. I, you could see that uh, we were coming up to a point there. And I, I said, you know, maybe some of this would be much easier if, if you would just get a, a conductor to take over the government and run the run the country that way, and then you you know you could have a little more of this, a little less of that, a little more harmony, a little less uh, solo uh, melodic line. And, and uh, I remember Herb Gray; his shoulders were just shaking as he laughed. He, he had a tremendous sense of humor, and, and uh, it, uh, of course, this was all in jest. I don't believe in dictatorship of any kind, and not, nor do I on the podium. I just don't think that's any longer appropriate or, or relevant to the real the reality of of life and making music. Anyway, that that was a, a fun sort of encounter. Uh, we also performed at the Toronto Zoo that summer, and th these are these are tricky things to do, like to get an orchestra outdoors and you know dealing with the weather and not just not just rain, but the sun is a problem on musical instruments, and so we did that, and we remember being cheered on at that Toronto Zoo concert. Uh, I think it was uh, Carnival of the Animals or something we were playing, uh, Samson's piece. 
and uh, we were cheered on, and there was this braying sound. I thought, oh my gosh, we've got we've got hecklers in the audience. Turns out there was this giant llama named Lightning. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> Lightning the llama was enjoying the music as much as anybody in the in the audience. I think so. One of the one of the best concerts ever. You know, when you get that kind of applause from innocence. <laughs> uh, we also uh, were pleased to do a, a performance down at Metro Hall, which is right downtown, uh, where we honored the, the sort of Jewish tradition in, in our society. And we had a, a group actually from London, Ontario, uh, called the Hot Latkes Band. It was a, a small group of players who uh, specialized in klezmer and other related music and we did a collaborative thing with them um with the orchestra so that that comes to mind um hope i'm not going too fast with all this but there was so much some memorable performances for me i i i do think back to those days and the elgar enigma variations was really as the orchestra just rose to that like no other it was just incredible i've done this piece with you know large professional orchestras as well but the one in Scarborough was was outstanding. Similarly, uh, the Rachmaninoff Second Symphony. Uh, these are pieces that are close and dear to me. Uh, I'm a hyper romantic sort of conductor, I guess. I, I love that repertoire. Even even the planets of Holst, uh, or I say even, but it's it's music that you know resonates with with young people and non-musicians and everybody and, and I I love the outreach of that kind of repertoire. Well, uh, so I've alluded to many of the collaborations and I won't list them all. There are just so many uh, but there was one outstanding one we talk about inclusiveness and uh, we did a, a sort of spontaneous performance of a Canadian piece by Michael Conway Baker and the guest soloist from Vancouver was in his late 80s so we had an elderly gentleman come out he was a very fine whistler like whistling and uh, we did a piece that uh, michael had written and it was actually it was featured on ctv at one point as well so we were that was quite a fun thing that we did um i was also asked to mention a couple of the challenges um uh we we as i said earlier we had great management and brockelman as a standout and uh, with her team dinah panday and paul bolton and people like that were really wonderful to work with. Um, there were difficulties. One, one which nobody could help would be the weather. As I commuted in from London, I encountered many, many snowstorms and did arrive on time for seven, seven o'clock rehearsal, but only just barely sometimes and, and uh, couldn't, couldn't go back home right away afterwards as I normally would. But those are, those are things outside of control. Um, some of the, uh, uh, let's see, some of the, Performances uh, were a little bit uneven after a, a period of time. After the time of Anne Brockelman, we found that uh, the management was a little bit up and down and, and uh, challenging. And, uh, you know, with rehearsals only being one day a week, we found if, if they were missing key players on a week, that meant we couldn't really rehearse much together and, and bring the concert together. Uh, couldn't uh, achieve what we need to do, to, you know, when with such a spaced out rehearsal schedule. So uh, this is the reason professional orchestras uh, rehearse in uh, tight blocks of days, like four or five days with five rehearsals or something or four. And, uh, and it, there's a cohesiveness that, that ensues 
with Scarborough, those become more, became more difficult uh, and spread out. And the, there was a, an issue with the venue. At one point, Birchmount Park was no longer available. I love that that venue very much. The acoustics are great and, and so on. But all, all told, I, I'd say that my memories are so, so fond and uh, I love the, the time with Scarborough Philharmonic and I'm delighted that my friend Ron Royer is pushing things forward and uh, continues to integrate with, with many, many uh, live composers and not even the live ones, some, but Canadian, <laughs> which is great, and balances it with, with some of the masterworks of the past. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jerry. During the next two years, René Regare served as our interim music director as we looked for a new conductor. Mr. Regare established himself as one of Canada's leading violists after beginning his professional career with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. His career has taken him throughout Canada and abroad as a chamber musician. He was Dean of the Glen Gould School at the Royal Conservatory of Music for 12 years. He has extensive experience as a conductor, including the Royal Conservatory Orchestra, the University of Ottawa Orchestra, and the Zhejiang Symphony of Hangzhou, China. And now we will have Paul Bolton, who has been with the SBO board since 2002 and has been a great volunteer of our orchestra. He will discuss the challenges that occurred during this period. Welcome, Paul. Good morning. My name is Paul Bolton, and I've been an SPO board member for over 20 years. I was president from 2006 to 2017. I think the SPO is an awesome, awesome uh, sound, business, fun, community service, and I've been pleased to help during my short term or long term, during the good times and the bad times. I was attending concerts between 2002 and 2003, that's how I got into this, and I bid at a silent auction, a chance to conduct the orchestra, something I've always wanted to do, and I think all of us do it when we're sitting in the car and the music comes on and we're conducting that orchestra, well, I wanted to do it in person. So I bid on it, won it, and it was a really a thrilling experience for me to conduct it. At the SPO. First of all, I don't read music. So the song that was picked for me was Bridge Over the River Kwai. And I went to the store and I picked up every CD that had it on there. I practiced because there's three different versions. I, I practiced in front of the mirror, went out and bought a baton, uh, a conductor baton. It, that was the name of it back then and uh, got a quick uh, learning experience from maestro Jerome David Summers, Jerry later on, and he gave me a conducting lesson, and the orchestra was really, really quite supportive. I also make wine, and this is just a little sidebar, but because I don't read music and because uh, my parents and a bunch of friends were going to be out in the audience, so I had to look good because I am really vain, I um, made 60 bottles of wine. Went up in front of them on the rehearsal on May 11th, 2002, and said, okay, guys, this is the deal. I don't read music. I need all the help I can get. My parents are out, out there, and please. And as a token of my appreciation, off to the side as you leave, you can pick up a bottle of wine. So I aced it. I had a standing ovation, and I was so proud of myself and so proud of that orchestra. 
Little did I know I was going to end up president, but that was beside the point. So the next concert, uh, I was approached after the concert uh, was leaving. I was approached by the president then, Adrian Heaps, asked me if I'd like to join the board. I went to a board meeting, figured, oh, you know, this is going to be interesting. It's something I really wanted to do. Little did I know that the SPO was going to head into some challenging period of time. Jerry Summers, who was my mentor, <laughs> joke, joke, um, left the orchestra at the end of the 2003-2004 season. And then for the, you know, the four, five, and sixth season, the SPO had a conductor search. Now, our um, interim president then uh, did some work with the Royal Conservatory and brought in Renny Riguerre as our interim music director. We had some really, really good conductors during that time, including Rene. However, there were problems. Um, the SPO had a deficit. The board was not functioning well. There were disagreements on how to run the orchestra. Our board members were struggling, and the board members left. There was tension within the orchestra. A number of players left. And an interim director, who was Rennie at the time, is limited to what he can do, and he was also offered a job at teaching at the University of Ottawa, and he took it. So now we had no interim music director. Our general manager had quit. A number of our audience members had left. We were in trouble. Board member even suggested that the SBO call it quits. That was reasonable uh, at the time, but for the second time of our history, the SBO was in crisis and in danger of closing shop. So we were at a turning port. Before resigning from the board, the president at the, at the time asked uh, John Barnum if he'd be interested in being the music director for the SBO. He said yes. He was a gift. There were three board members left, myself being included. So we wanted the SBO to survive. There was a small group of orchestra players left, and they were committed to, save, to uh, saving the orchestra. So with the odds against us and I put up some money to finish off the season, which I did get back. I got back in um, the next season, actually, after I took over as interim president. We, um, we were committed to saving it, so we finished, finished the season with the help uh, and, and the rebuilding of, with John Barnum as well, and he stayed with us for two seasons, and he did a great job for us by helping us come back. We found new board members. We found a new orchestra members. We started to rebuild our audience, and, and we found ways to survive. Now, besides my work on the board, um, uh, the, um, we had some interesting times because I like to cook, and I like to entertain. So we had some really, really nice little munchies, other than coffee and cookies that we had at our intermissions. I spent a lot of time in the kitchen in there. Um, we had um, some really, really good food. I think everybody appreciated. So it it was it was there for to help build the morale, and you know it worked. Uh, the the SPO thrived. It was a challenging time, but the, you know there was enough of us who loved the SPO. They wanted it to succeed, and that's how we managed to keep the orchestra going. Uh, at present, um, I'm, I'm really thrilled that the SBO is doing well, and I'm still on the board. I'm, in, I'm President Emeritus, and um, the COVID outbreak is another challenge for us, 
but we're we're managing to do it. And I think we'll be okay. Long live the SPO and their awesome sound. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Once again, the SPO was fortunate to find a music director who could help the orchestra overcome significant problems. John Barnum had extensive experience as a conductor of professional, community, and youth orchestras. He was the music director of the Mississauga Symphony for 35 years and the Georgian Bay Symphony for 22 years. He was the assistant conductor of the Edmonton Symphony, the resident conductor of the Thunder Bay Symphony, and guest conducted throughout Canada. He taught at the Royal Conservatory of Music and the University of Toronto. John is now retired from conducting, but sings in a number of choirs, particularly Guelph, where he lives. John was music director for two years. Welcome, John. Hi, my name is John Barnum, and I was the music director of the Scarborough Philharmonic from 2006 to 2008. I remember Maggie Moser phoned me and said, would you take on the role of of being music director? And I wasn't sure of exactly what challenges had taken place before. I certainly was aware of a few things in the orchestra because I had worked with Clifford Poole at the Royal Conservatory for a number of years, and Christopher Kitts was a good friend of mine. And Ron Royer was a good friend of mine, and his wife Kay was playing in the orchestra. So Ron and I talked about repertoire all the time. So we probably talked about different orchestras because we both share a, a love of repertoire. In any event, I took this on, and I remember that I, I really had no idea how to create a season. We had to have a brochure, so I, I created a brochure and realized finally that when I first started with the orchestra that some of the things I planned to do weren't going to make it, like we weren't going to do the planets. So we had our first brochure had the planets in it with the Oriana Women's Choir. Well, it didn't happen. And it was not easy. I do recall that we didn't have a very big board. And I do recall that Paul Bolton, he was the kingpin for everything we were doing because we really didn't have a manager. Uh, We had to find a personnel manager. Catherine McGowan finally came and she was able to assist me with that. So it was not a very easy start. The one thing that I could do, I wasn't sure what the orchestra was going to sound like. I didn't know who was coming. But I was able to get music because I was music director of the Mississauga Symphony. So Uh, Over the two years, a lot of the repertoire that we did was repertoire I had done, and I could bring in the music because it was bowed and it was ready to go. When I looked at the first program I did, I'm not really sure how we were able to play it. Uh, We certainly did a Beethoven piano concerto with Elaine Howe, who was a, a pianist I knew originally from Mississauga, but she ended up finishing up a PhD in the States somewhere. But we also did Schubert 9, which is a major piece. And, and when I looked at the four or five first violins that we had, they were, they were fine. I'm just not sure how we accomplished that, but we did. And it was just, um, I can't remember all the vari- variations of what happened to me. I certainly had to deal with trying to find musicians. And the first thing I did and this has been crucial in a number of situations that I've had, was to find a concertmaster. And Corey Gemmel was a good friend of mine and uh, a fine musician. And I think we all lucked in with getting Corey because he's still there. And what a what a person he is. Uh, um, it occurred to me 
that maybe I was asked to take on the Scarborough Phil because I had already sort of done the same situation, taken orchestras that were not in too good shape um, on a couple of occasions and turned them around. So uh, particularly uh, the Huronia Symphony and also Georgian Bay Symphony, both of which are doing very well these days. And I know that uh, our orchestra in Scarborough is doing very well. So the musicians, I began to look and uh, look for people that had relationships to uh, Scarborough itself, because that's how you build a community orchestra. And I certainly believed in that. There are certain people that were in the orchestra when I arrived and are still in the orchestra. And I, when I look down the list, I see people like Kim Quigley and Carrie um, Johnson. And, uh, and I remember Lisa Haddock, um, I remember... I discovered her from doing a, a gig somewhere else and realized that she lived in Scarborough. So she ended up being the principal bass and Bob Ketchin was there. Um, the, going back to the library, it took a while. I think we ended up with Wendy Fry, who was the librarian, and she was just terrific. And then I know noticed she's still in the orchestra. Uh, we had a cello section, which really and uh, is almost the same as what we what you have nowadays so i spent time going after uh, musicians that i could find uh from the area uh, and i remember we found someone like iris chrismanic the horn player that had had been around she was quite quite something um uh, mitchell Pady in our first year our first and second year was our um assistant conductor and i had known mitchell from uh, another well I knew his wife, and I, I'm aware of him as a singer, um, and he he did a number of pieces along the way with us, and he sang in one concert with uh, Howard Cable, the conductor, and we had a resident composer one uh, one year. That's Vince Gazzi, and that that is again Ron Royer's idea. I remember Ron talking with Ron. He said he's a teacher in the area. You should get him, and typical of that, it really worked out, and we did programming with him where we practiced and um, where we uh, ended up in many cases was looking rather difficult. And I, I thank Paul Bolton for dealing with this because we had to deal with Birchmount Collegiate and they were, they were not, they didn't seem to really want us. That had been the traditional home of the Scarborough Phil and it was not easy uh, to deal with them. So we began looking for other locations. And I remember that we ended up in one case at St. Boniface Roman Catholic Church. And then we ended up with uh, Iondale Church. We did a, a concert or two. And I know that uh, since that time, uh, the concert locations have changed. Let's put it this way. Every board meeting and every time we looked, we just had to rethink everything. When I look at my programming overall, we had very few soloists. I remember I said Elaine Howe was a soloist that came from outside. Um, certainly with Howard Cable, we had uh, we brought in soloists or had soloists. And the, but the only other soloist who was not actually in the orchestra was Winona Zelenka, the cellist of, who plays in the Toronto Symphony and wonderful, wonderful cellist. I used people from the orchestra to be our soloists. And certainly in the second year, we had Corey doing the Beethoven Violin Concerto. Uh, one of my favorite concerts was doing the Symphonia Concertante for Winds by Mozart. 
And we had playing it where uh, Colin Meyer, the oboe player who ended up going to Quartetto Gelato uh, K on uh, on clarinet, Catherine McGowan on bassoon, who who for the two years I was there was our personnel manager, and Iris Krismanik, who is now principal horn in Windsor. And uh, and I know she stayed with the orchestra for a number of years. That was a particular favorite concert for me, simply because of being able to do that at a certain level. I would say my repertoire was basically traditional. We did, you know, Beethoven concerti. Uh, we did Beethoven five in one concert. We did we did a Haydn symphony, but a small, short Haydn symphony. I mentioned Schubert, um, but we did mixed programs more than anything. So uh, I was able to do a Viennese program that had Mozart in it. So we did Mozart Serenata Notturna and the Mozart clarinet concerto with K. And uh, but then we did other little pieces that related to it. So it was there were kind of mixed programs in many cases. Uh, certainly the Christmas programs were, were interesting. Uh, we did have the Bach Children's Chorus, uh, Linda Beaupre's uh, chorus at that time, but it was actually uh, Lydia Adams who uh, was involved and conducted a piece. And that was very much appreciated by the audience. So taking an overview of my time there, it was a pleasure to see the orchestra begin to regel and reform itself for its future. I was disappointed to have to leave, and the reason was because I uh, I had some family obligations that I I really were really crucial at that point in my life. But I must say that I missed the people that were involved, and I very much appreciated the opportunity to spend time with Howard Cable, the two concerts that were there, because he's a He's a, certainly a gem. I wish the Scarborough Philharmonic all the best. You have a great tradition, and you have a wonderful music director, my good friend Ron Royer, who I know will take you to the next four. Well, he may not last the next 40 years, but he'll give it a shot. Thank you, John. The SBO invited Ronald Royer to be the music director in 2008, and Ron continues in this role to this day. He's the longest serving SBO music director to date. He's a conductor, composer, teacher, cellist, and music producer. Welcome, Ron. My first experience with the SPL came in 1991 when my wife, clarinetist Kay Royer, started playing with the SPO as an extra player. I enjoyed attending the concerts. The conductor, Chris Kitts, and the orchestra were excellent. My first involvement with SPL came when music director Jerry Summers performed my Nocturne for Clarinet and Strings featuring Kay as soloist on February 15, 2003. During Jerry's tenure, Kay had become the principal clarinetist. I was invited to become the composer in residence, a post I held for two seasons, from 2003 to 2005. I was thrilled by the opportunity. It was great to work with Jerry Summers and the wonderful musicians of the SPL. At one of the concerts, I was asked to conduct my own music, and this was the first time I had conducted the SPL, and I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed the opportunity to get to know various members of the SPL community. I was aware of the problems that grew during this period, coming to a head in 2006. I was impressed and pleased with the way in which conductor John Bardham, board members, and players came together to face the challenges and to start to turn things around. At an SPO concert in the winter of 2008, I spoke with president of the board, 
Paul Bolton. I knew that John Barnum had recently resigned from the orchestra. Because there wasn't money to hire a general manager, the board members were doing this job as well. It was a tough time. I was aware that Toronto Arts Council grant applications were due in a week. Paul let me know that the board hadn't had time yet to start writing the application. Concerned, I asked if I could help, and my offer was quickly accepted. I assisted in the speedy writing of the grant application, and we were all relieved when it was approved. The board asked if I would like to continue to help and take over the job as the music director. Since I was already quite busy with my teaching and composition careers, I didn't feel I should take the full commitment of being the music director, but I did offer to be the interim music director for the 2008-2009 season and help out until they could find a permanent music director. Fortunately, the financial picture was improving. The orchestra was not out of the woods yet, so that season was still a challenge. We found three excellent candidates who each conducted a concert. Our principal pops conductor, Howard Cable, conducted a concert, and I had the opportunity to conduct a concert as well. The three candidates did a great job, but all of them were offered positions outside of Toronto and were unable to take the SPL gig. At the end of the season, I offered to be the interim music director for a second season with all new candidates, but the board asked me to consider becoming the permanent music director. When they polled the SPO players, a strong majority voted for me to become the new conductor. I was honored and I accepted. I rearranged my life and have been working hard for the orchestra ever since. I will now talk about some of the highlights and challenges during my tenure. In 2008, one of our guest conductors invited the Toronto Choral Society to perform on our holiday concert. It was a great fit and the choir has been performing at least one concert with the SPO per season ever since. I've really enjoyed working with their conductor, Jeffrey Butler. In September 2012, the Toronto District School Board informed all the community groups who rented school board facilities that rental fees were going to be dramatically raised effective immediately. The fee for one concert would be higher than the total rental fees for the entire previous season. This change of fee policy meant that it suddenly became impossible for us to remain in our facility. With our opening concert coming up in October and with rehearsals starting in a few weeks, it was dire. It was a bit scary. There aren't a lot of concert hall options in Scarborough. General Manager Alex Ennington and I frantically searched the city. There was definitely some scary days, but we found the Salvation Army Scarborough Citadel with room for our full ensemble and excellent acoustics. We have been performing there ever since and have appreciated working with them. A few years after we had to leave, the school board changed course on fees and we were invited back, but we declined since we were happy at our new facility. Since 1995, Howard Cable conducted one Pops concert each year, with the last being February 1st, 2014. I enjoyed getting to know Howard. He was a terrific composer and arranger and an excellent conductor. And he was a lot of fun to talk to. He enjoyed music and kept busy composing until the day he died in 2016 at the age of 95. The SPL was fortunate to have him as part of our organization for so many years and we really miss him. I have so many wonderful concert memories. Here are a few. 
In May 2014, the SPL performed a concert of 20th century Russian music, including Shostakovich's Ninth Symphony and Prokofiev's Third Piano Concerto, with Talisa Blackman as our piano soloist. This concerto is an incredible showpiece for the piano and the orchestra. The audience usually saves its applause for the end of a multi-movement concerto. Sometimes there is some scattered applause by a few who are not aware of this tradition or just want to show a little appreciation. However, Talissa's playing was so impressive and amazing, the entire audience erupted after the first movement and gave her a full standing ovation in the middle of this performance. To this day, I have never experienced this at any other classical concert. We continued and finished the concerto, and the audience stood again and cheered for the longest time. It was a remarkable performance, with two standing ovations for one piece. For the Halloween weekend of 2015, our general manager at the time, Sue Payne, had the idea of a concert where the orchestra and audience would be invited to come in costume. Anyone in the audience who wore a costume was invited to parade around the auditorium while the orchestra played The Funeral March of a Marionette by Charles Gounod. This music had been the theme music for Alfred Hitchcock's TV show. It was great to see all the, the costumes. I dressed up as Dracula so I could still use my tux. I did sport scary fake teeth and fake blood on my face. Other music included Dance Macabre, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Taloyland Spiegel's Merry Pranks, a Harry Potter Suite, a cello concerto, and a composition written specifically for the SPL for this concert called Prelude to a Thriller by our principal cellist, Sam Bisson. It was a wonderful piece. For me, the biggest surprise of the evening was provided by our cello soloist, Simon Fryer. Between the afternoon rehearsal and the evening concert, Simon shaved his head for his costume. Now that was dedication to one's costume. I didn't see Simon's new look until he walked on stage. The orchestra and I were shocked and delighted. Uh, he was really something to see. And we had to settle down to focus on performing the music. At the end of the season, we were invited to perform the opening concert of the prestigious Luminato Festival, Toronto's International Arts Festival, on June 19, 2015. Luminato organizers decided to feature an Ontario community orchestra and sent a representative to listen to orchestras throughout southern Ontario. The Luminato representative was impressed with our orchestra. We were selected and it was a huge compliment. We performed a concert in downtown Toronto where audience members were chosen on the spot from the audience of several thousand people to sing karaoke with the orchestra. The mayor of Toronto, John Tory, kicked off the concert singing with the SPO. It was an ex exciting and fun event, and you could find a few excerpts from the concert on YouTube. Also in 2016, the SPO started a new generation composers workshop designed to help and support young and emerging composers. In four years, we have supported 22 young composers through this program. Our current composer in residence and podcast host, Daniel Medizade, started his relationship with our orchestra through this program. Another highlight came in 2017 when the SPO launched our first commercial recording, Canadian Panorama, in honor of Canada's 150th anniversary. Featuring the wins of the SPO, the CD showcased the music of seven Canadian composers from the Toronto area, including Howard Cable, Alex Eddington, 
John S. Gray, Jim McGraw, Chris Meyer, Alexander Rappaport, and myself. Our recording has been remarkably successful with excellent radio play and reviews in Canada and the U.S. Alan Polker, in his review for the Whole Note magazine, wrote, This recording and the music so beautifully performed on it are, and will continue to be for many years, a precious gift to us all in the year of our nation's 150th birthday. Wow, what a wonderful review. When we started this project, we had no idea that our recording would receive substantial recognition in Canada and beyond. It was exciting the SPO could contribute to our country's 150th anniversary. The recording is available on a number of platforms such as YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. For more information, go to the SPO website. To wrap up, the SPO community has been working diligently to keep our orchestra in a stable financial place and to foster and maintain respectful relationships at all levels of our organization. We have been fortunate that a whole series of events have gone well for the SPO. We have also had some luck. The SPO is working hard to keep our organization fun functioning during the COVID-19 outbreak. We have started the SPL Great Music Podcast and we are posting videos on our SPL YouTube channel. We are looking forward to presenting live concerts again. It has been my pleasure to be music director and to be able to work with all the wonderful musicians of SPL as well as general managers, board members, volunteers, and audience members. The SPL has been serving the Scarborough community for the last 40 years. We have been fortunate to be able to make great music and share it. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Ron, for all your ongoing work for the SBO. I want to thank all the people who have shared their stories and perspectives on this podcast. The Scarborough Philharmonic has had an interesting history, marked by a lot of great music making, but has also had some challenges. The events in 1985 with Clifford Poole was unfortunate, but in the long run, Scarborough has benefited from having two orchestras. The SBO would like to thank the Cathedral Bluff Symphony Orchestra for their support of this podcast. Their general manager, Peggy Wong, provided information and connected us with a group of musicians, Alan Shantz, Pamela Fell, and Tom Kellenbit, who started with the SBO and then moved with Clifford Poole to the Cathedral Bluff Symphony. We also appreciate Colleen Orr, who provided information on Clifford Poole. The SBO has benefited from having many wonderful people in our community over the years. If you're listening, a special thank you. For more on the SBO's 40th anniversary, please tune into the supplementary podcast available in a few weeks. Information can also be found on SBO's website, including full biographies and photos of all our SBO music directors. Please go to sbo.ca. Once again, this is SBO Great Music, and I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Metizade. Thank you for joining on today's episode. Make sure to tune in on Friday, December 4th for the musical offering of the Esper Great Music Performance Series on our YouTube channel. A complete list of performers and titles will be available on our website. Our executive producer and audio engineer is Devin Scott. Our producer and music director is Ronald Royer. And our host and segment audio engineer is myself, Dr. Daniel Metizade. The Esper Great Music Podcast is brought to you in part by funding and support from the Toronto Arts Council, Delta Bingo and Gaming Downsview, our SBO Board of Directors, and by SBO donors and volunteers. If you want to add your support, please consider a one-time or monthly donation online at canadahelps.org. Just search for Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra. 
A link is also available on our homepage, sbo.ca. A special thanks to our community partners, Scarborough Arts, Fab Collab, Stratford Symphony Orchestra, the Canadian Music Centre, Canadian Sinfonietta, the Bradford Symphony Orchestra, and the Cathedral Bluff Symphony Orchestra. Share your feedback with us on Facebook and Twitter at SBO Great Music. Until next time.